Covering Global BC, this is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening, thanks for joining us. BC's police watchdog is investigating after a man was shot and killed by police inside the emergency room of the hospital in Hope. The deadly incident began with a crash on the Coquihalla Highway yesterday afternoon. Our uh, Travis Prasad is outside the hospital in Hope and joins us with more on how this all unfolded. Travis. Sophie, we know there was a crash on Highway 5 around noon that police and paramedics responded to. We also know there was some sort of altercation here at the hospital involving people in that crash, and it led to a fatal shooting. It's a small community hospital of just 10 beds in an idyllic setting next to a winding creek. What unfolded at the typically quiet Fraser Canyon Hospital on Wednesday has left people shaken. Around 11.45 a.m., Upper Fraser Valley RCMP responded to a crash on Highway 5 involving two vehicles. Multiple people were injured and taken 40 kilometers south to Fraser Canyon Hospital. There, police say there was an altercation between two people involved in the crash. Paramedics called police. When officers arrived, the situation escalated and an officer fatally shot a man. One witness tells us she heard multiple gunshots. BC's police watchdog, the Independent Investigations Office, has taken over the investigation and won't confirm whether the man had a weapon. We do have some information uh, on that, but it's not the type of information that I am able to release this early on in the investigation, as we still have many uh, witnesses to speak to and we don't want to taint anybody's memories. The IIO says many people witnessed the deadly shooting. In an internal email obtained by Global News, Fraser Health CEO Victoria Lee says, we recognize this has had a significant emotional impact on all involved and support has been made available. We also extend our gratitude to staff at Chilliwack General Hospital who traveled to Fraser Canyon Hospital to relieve impacted staff. There is video in the hospital. Um, how much it shows of the actual event um, is still something that we're exploring. We've of course taken steps to uh, gather all of the relevant video that we can find. Meanwhile, the community still processing what happened. I was shocked to hear about it. Like, I couldn't believe that something like that would happen in a hospital. It just reminds me that you're not really 100% safe anywhere nowadays. Anything can happen anywhere at any time, right? And I, that thought didn't even enter my head before here, but now it does. At this point, we don't know what caused the initial altercation that led to police being called to the hospital. It's also unclear what the relationship between those involved is. The IIO says those are details that will make up part of its ongoing investigation. Sophie. Travis Prasad reporting for us in Hope. Travis, thank you. There is still no sign of 16-year-old Esther Wang, who disappeared Tuesday during a hike in Golden Ears Park. Searchers were back at it again all day today, and Julie Nolan joins us live with the latest on today's efforts. Julie, they certainly are not giving up. Yeah, crews were out first thing, but despite their best efforts, there are still no clues to Wang's whereabouts. The teen was initially reported missing on Tuesday night at about 6 o'clock. Day two of the search for Esther Wang and still no sign of the 16-year-old hiker at Golden Ears Park. The Langley team was hiking with three others when she became separated from the group on Tuesday afternoon around 2.45. While she has food and water, cell service is nearly non-existent. Searchers say so far there's been no sign of Wang, but the clock is ticking. 
and the search is proving to be a huge challenge for crews. It's rugged. It's It's got jumbled boulders and thick timber, um, some cliffs. Uh, yeah, a lot of undergrowth. So it's very, it's typical West Coast kind of terrain, very thick. It's old growth forest. The search was put on hold overnight and started up again first thing Thursday morning. Multiple search agencies are here assisting, but searchers are predominantly from Ridge Meadows Search and Rescue. Helicopters and drones are searching from above, but crews say they still need to be on foot to be able to spot Wang. She may be uh, right now sitting under a tree with an injury and waiting for us, and, and we can't see through that canopy with, with drones or with uh, FLUR units, so that's why we have people on, out in the field. Golden Ears is one of the largest parks in the province with more than 62,000 hectares of rough terrain. Wang is described as about five foot three inches tall with a slim build. She has long black hair, wearing black leggings, a black jacket, and a navy blue baseball hat. The area remains open to hikers, and police add they don't need additional volunteer searchers at this time. Global News has learned the search is broadening. Ridge Meadows Search and Rescue has reportedly called on other agencies to come in and help, potentially through the long weekend if Wang isn't found first. Back to you, Chris. Julie Nolan reporting near Golden Ears Park for us. Thanks, Julie. And a hiker is safe after a long line rescue on the North Shore. At around 10 this morning, North Shore Rescue received a call about a hiker who injured her ankle on Dog Mountain. Rescue crews say she was in so much pain she wasn't able to move. Thankfully, an NSR member was already hiking in the area, so they were able to get information on her location quickly, and a 200-foot line was used to extract her. Well, if you don't already have a reservation on a BC ferry between Tawasson and Swartz Bay this long weekend, there's a good chance you're completely out of luck. Following yesterday's news that dozens of sailings would be cancelled, reservations have been snapped up. Our Richard Zussman is live at Swartz Bay Ferry Terminal for us tonight. Richard, reservations are sold out for today, but that's not the only problem. It's not. Drivers who are arriving here now, Sophie, are told they likely will be able to get on the 9 o'clock ferry from Swartz Bay to Tawasson. But if you are on the other side of the water right now in Tawasson, you are not going to be able to get on in your vehicle to come over to Victoria tonight. And with this being just the start of the long weekend, things are going to get worse. Long weekend, long lines. It's just kind of a pain to have to wait for so long. It's very frustrating. You don't know what time you're going to get on or if you're going to make it that day. The coastal celebration is on the docks, meaning eight sailings didn't go on Thursday between Victoria and Vancouver. And with the vessel out of commission until at least next week, those cancellations will continue. And there is extremely limited access for standby travelers with a car. It sucks, man. You know, we came over here for a show and while we were here, they canceled all the all the all the sailing, so now we're just kind of stuck here for four hours. If people aren't just traveling to and from the island for pleasure vacations. They are traveling because they have doctor's appointments, they need to visit loved ones, they have work commitments, they're getting commercial goods across, and the fact is is that this system is now unreliable. Compounding the problem, staffing. Sailings cancelled on Thursday between Comox and Powell River. 
with BC Ferries eventually finding enough workers to get that route back on track. We are still uh, a little bit shy in our resiliency as far as backup crew. So there may be occasions when we do see a uh, cancellation at short notice due to staffing situations. The union representing ferry workers asking travellers not to take their frustration out on those at the ticket booth and on the vessels. Look for uh, some patients there. They're not the ones setting the schedule and they're certainly the ones uh, putting in long hours to try and get uh, vessels back up in service. The issues on the Swartz Bay to Tawasson route have added increased pressure across the system. Nanaimo Mayor Leonard Krogh says the ramifications are real. It's going to be hard for, for businesses and tourists, but hard on the families who were looking forward to the break they needed, let alone those of us who live here nearly a million strong who rely on ferries for pretty much everything we consume. Those who don't have a reservation to board this weekend are being asked, maybe considering walking on, but there is a possibility that by tomorrow or Saturday, the parking lots of both Swartz Bay and Tawasson will be full. Another issue in terms of extra sailings, our colleague Jordan Armstrong asked, why not add extra sailings later on in the day? And he was told it was because of crew issues. They just don't have enough workers. They would be forced to go into overtime. And with the weekend coming up, they can't have any burnout. So maybe with this vest, guys, they're going to put me to work as well to make sure the people can get on board. <laughs> All right. Well, get to work then, Richard. <laughs> Double shifting. Thanks uh, very much. They could use the help. All right. Uh, transit police are releasing some new images of the suspect in a violent assault that happened last month. You might remember this one. It happened around 6 p.m. May 23rd. Police say two men started fighting on the bus outside the Marine Drive Canada Line station. During the altercation, a bystander was hurt and a bus window was broken. Both men left the bus near Southeast Marine Drive and 70th Avenue and started fighting again with one of the men suffering a severed finger and a broken jaw. If you recognize this suspect, contact police. Well, the mother of BC teen Amanda Todd is reacting after hearing the man convicted of extorting and harassing her daughter is appealing for a lighter sentence. A BC court sentenced Aiden Coban to 13 years, but as Aaron MacArthur reports, Dutch lawyers want to lower that as he serves time for other crimes in his own country. Arguments in a Dutch courtroom Thursday for the sentencing of Aidan Coban. While a Canadian judge sentenced him to 13 years, the panel of judges in Amsterdam are set to convert that sentence to Dutch legal standard. Coban's lawyer argued the sentence handed down by Justice Martha Devlin in a new Westminster courtroom was exorbitantly high, even by Canadian standards arguing his client shouldn't get any extra prison time. But if he does, it should be no more than one year with six months suspended. The public prosecutor told judges that a Dutch court would normally hand a four-year sentence to Coban for the crimes he was convicted of in Canada, but urged the judges to impose an extra six months. Public prosecutor explained the courts why the case of Amanda Todd really should be considered as a separate case even though it consists of the same facts and circumstances. Coban was convicted of extortion in the online torment of Amanda Todd. Later, the 15-year-old took her own life. Coban was sentenced to 13 years to be served after he completes his 11-year sentence in the Netherlands for similar crimes. For Carol Todd, the sentence range comes 
as a pleasant surprise. After trial, she was told Coban could easily serve no more additional time. My thinking is I would have loved the ultimate of, of 13, but any time extra that Aiden Caban can spend behind bars and away from the public, away from the internet, technology, um, is a good thing. Coban's lawyer also critical of Canadian authorities for releasing his client's personal details, saying he will always be linked to the Todd case. He victimized more than what we know, and he thinks he can get scot-free back into the world and, and not being recognized. I'm sorry, but you did it. And so you have to pay the price, and it's going to be a, li a lifetime, because Amanda's death is a lifetime. The sentence will be handed down July 13th. Coban's current sentence comes to an end in 2025. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. The B.C. Greens are calling, are joining the call for the Minister of Children and Family Development to resign after details of a horrific case of abuse by foster parents came to light. The First Nations Leadership Council first demanded Dean resign over what it calls a lack of accountability. The case involved two Indigenous children who were violently abused and starved while in the care of Indigenous foster parents living in Lake Eruk. An 11-year-old boy died and the couple pleaded guilty to manslaughter and aggravated assault. They were sentenced to 10 years in prison. During the trial, it came to light the home had not been visited by ministry staff for more than seven months. The ministry confirmed today two staffers associated with the case have been terminated. A sight-impaired woman is in a big dispute with BC Transit. We walked onto the bus and the bus driver asked to see my papers. How she and her guide dog were kicked off the bus and how the bus company is responding to her complaint coming up next on the News Hour. How Whitecaps coach Vanny Sartini stole the show at the Nickelback concert later on the News Hour. Also tonight, a Vernon family loses their home in a fire. And what caused it should have you thinking twice about how you celebrate Canada Day. That's still to come tonight. Right now, though, Nanaimo Transit is investigating the complaints of a blind woman in Nanaimo who says she was unfairly kicked off a bus. Not only that, she says other drivers passed her by as she waited at the stop. As Kylie Stanton reports, the issue seems to be her guide dog. To find the bus stop, I will ask my dog to find the bench. Guide dogs are a lifeline for the blind. Good boy! Party for Kobe! It's how Donna Hudon has been getting from A to B safely for the past 30 years. I will tell him to find the bus, find the door, um, and he'll, you know, take me onto the bus. But about five weeks ago, Hudon was questioned the moment she stepped on board. The driver asking to see her papers. I bring my identification up. It's got my current CNIB card, says I'm blind, I can take the bus for free. Um, the other one is a current BC guide dog registration card. And he said, get off my bus. Hudon was shaken and complained to the regional district of Nanaimo. Officials were quick to apologize. But then it happened again. So the second time. Hudon says she got on board and another driver questioned why her dog wasn't wearing a red vest. But the only requirement is a harness. While she was allowed to ride, the experience has taken a toll. And I'm upset not just for me. 
BC Transit has issued an apology going on to say, we are investigating this matter with our partners at the regional district of Nanaimo. We're speaking with uh, employees and we're speaking with Donna Hunan again and uh, trying to come up with a resolution for this. It is BC Transit's policy to ask a customer to produce their guide dog and service dog certificate if there is a concern. And while it's rare, advocates say some additional training would go a long way. It's frankly shameful what's happened and there needs to be follow-up uh, with the employers and something needs to be done about this. There needs to be an education piece completed here. Chudon would like to see that taken a step further, saying the best way to recognize a guide dog is simply to look and watch, an ability she knows all too well should not be taken for granted. For somebody to feel like they have to stop me to get my identification to make sure that he is a guide dog or that I am blind, I feel is against my rights as a human being. Kylie Stanton, Global News. The city of Kelowna is one of many across B.C. dealing with an increase in crime in its downtown core, and the city is now telling business owners that it will work to reverse that trend. The city's director of safety told a Chamber of Commerce meeting today that as COVID-19 restrictions lifted in 2021, crime began to trend in the wrong direction, but he's assuring business owners in the downtown help is on the way. We were there for 18 years and over the years, like, you know, when we first moved there, we'd even let the kids walk down the lake or do whatever by themselves. And it's just getting, uh, well, everything's kind of overriding the crime and homeless and everything situation down there is getting bad. The task force that's being undertaken that the chamber will participate uh, is a step in the right direction because it brings people together to look at, uh, you know, those potential creative solutions or ways to mitigate the impact. The city says it will also put more police officers and bylaw officers on patrol in the downtown core. Up next, Consumer Matters saves the day. I can't imagine how long would this take if I didn't reach out to Consumer Matters. How Andrea helped solve a $5,000 nightmare for an air traveler who only wanted to modify an existing ticket. Plus... This should never have happened. There, there should have been small uh, wildlife retention areas. A visit to one of the largest clear cuts in the province and how it plays into the downfall of BC's forestry sector. Good evening. Traffic is in decent shape both ways over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Good news, just cleared a single vehicle crash at the south end on the Nordell exit. Help police keep BC's roads safe by being a responsible driver. If you've had something to drink, don't drive because safer roads start with you. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. We've got a quick Consumer Matters update for you. You might remember our Air Canada customer who was double charged thousands of dollars by the airline for a round trip. And at the time, the airline's solution was to offer the customer a voucher. But the situation changed once Global News aired her story. With more, let's bring in Consumer Matters reporter Andrea. And Thanks, Sophie. Crystal Fernandez purchased two round trip tickets to the Philippines through Air Canada. Crystal and her husband were going to bring their family dog on that trip. But when they were told their dog couldn't fly in the cabin on the return flight home, Crystal said, she had to modify her booking. Well, that's when her problems with Air Canada started and where Consumer Matters stepped in to help. Crystal Fernandez had purchased the Economy Flex option for both her and her husband while booking with Air Canada from Vancouver to the Philippines. 
The option allows customers to make modifications to their booking for a small fee. But when Crystal had to make a slight change to her connecting flight home, Crystal says she was charged twice for the same round trip. They charged us double. I said, what? When Crystal reached out to Air Canada to fix the error, Crystal says the airline offered her a $10,000 voucher as a solution. After getting nowhere with the airline, she reached out to Consumer Matters. Shortly after we shared Crystal's story, she says an Air Canada representative reached out to her by phone and again by email. Confirming that within two to four business days, they're going to be sending me back the money. The email from Air Canada showing over $5,000 will be e-transferred to Crystal. I can't imagine how long would this take if I didn't reach out to Consumer Matters. We reached out to Air Canada for an explanation asking what went wrong in the first place. In an email, Air Canada stated, our review found that during her efforts to change her flight to another fare class on another day, the customer in fact incurred an additional charge, which was a fare difference between her old and new booking. It was not a double charge. Air Canada also told us complicating matters was the fact Crystal had reached out to her bank to dispute the charge and resulted in her ticket being cancelled altogether. It bothers me because they're kind of like trying to save their face. This is not how you appease the customer. In fact, Crystal says the Air Canada representative who reached out to her had a much different explanation for the original error. He said, as like, there's nothing wrong from your end. Uh, it was the system and he was saying that it's because it's a connecting flight and there could be like a problem with the other airlines. Let's go, come on. Either way, Crystal plans on traveling to the Philippines with her husband and little Mackie in December, hopefully putting this latest Air Canada experience behind her. And we have since received confirmation by email from Air Canada telling us there is a delay with the processing of that e-transfer, but Crystal should receive her money no later than July 5th. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. Sure. All right. Good work. Job well done. I was going to say it too. Thanks, Anne. Canadians have the highest household debt of any G7 country, and new data shows people are increasingly turning to a type of debt that's easily accessible, but among the most expensive to carry. Global's Anne Gaviola has more on why experts are raising concerns. With higher interest rates impacting variable rate debt, more people are feeling the financial squeeze. And while mortgages make up the majority of variable rate debt, financial planner Jackie Porter says high inflation is pushing more of us to use credit cards just to get by. The simple way to make ends meet if you don't have money in the account is to charge it. Recent data shows plastic reliance by businesses and households is on the rise. According to Equifax, spending on credit cards is up more than 20% compared to before the pandemic. The people that are using uh, this, these credit cards more are ones that pay less than 90% of their credit card off every month. Insolvency experts say that and more people turning to ultra-high interest payday-style loans can lead to a lifetime of financial hardship. So people will be saddled with this debt, you know, potentially for the rest of their working career uh, if they don't uh, pay down more of the principal. Now you're having to come up with that much more that you didn't have in your bank account to begin with, which means you end up financing more and then you just keep going further and further down that rabbit hole. If you're in a financial bind, step one is taking stock of your situation, figure out how much money is coming in and how much you're spending. Step two, if needed, 
find professional help. For every dollar the average Canadian household earns, it owes a dollar and 85 cents. To change some people, literally have to change their lifestyle and, and, and buy less, don't buy luxury items, just buy essentials, buy cheaper where they can. Cutting back can go a long way towards ensuring this is a rough financial patch and not the path to a debt trap. Anne Gaviola, Global News, Toronto. A new poll suggests few British Columbians are happy with the way the provincial government has handled a number of key issues. But despite the dissatisfaction, they also wouldn't change things. Our Keith Baldry joins us live with more on this. The criticism is growing, Keith, but why are we unwilling to do anything about it? Yeah, there seems to be a bit of a Teflon quality to this NDP government, both under Premier, previous Premier John Horgan and current Premier uh, David Eby. Night after night, our newscast is filled with stories about health care woes, the cost of living and housing unaffordability. But take a look at the government's very dismal approval ratings on those issues. These are very low numbers. Just 15% approve of the government's handling of cost of living. Just 11% approve of what they're doing on housing. 22% fare slightly better when it comes to health care. But turn it around. Who would you vote for? This doesn't make sense compared to the other graphic, but this is what British Columbians are at. 47% right now say they'd vote for the NDP. That's a huge lead over the distant second BC United, the Greens in third place, and other, which is likely BC Conservative in fourth place. Very uh, big numbers for the NDP despite their handling. Uh, pollsters Shachi Curl of Angus Reid Institute making that point today. You know, we're at a period right now where this NDP government under Premier David Eby is facing a lot of criticism from British Columbians on key issues, on the issues that British Columbians themselves say that they're struggling the most with, health care, housing affordability, cost of living. But despite that, it's not necessarily having a, an effect on their political fortunes. So the leader's approval ratings, also good news for the NDP, bad news for BC United. Uh, David Eby coming in at 47%. That's nowhere near John Horgan's lofty numbers, uh, which were approaching 60-70%, but still considerably higher than BC United leader Kevin Falcon, who's just at 20% approval and 48% disapproval. Clearly, the election's obviously not going to be held soon, which is good news for BC United, but they got to get those numbers up if they want to be competitive with the NDP come the next election, which right now is scheduled for October 19th, 2024. All right, mark it on your calendar. Thank you, Keith. Mm -hmm. Just ahead, finding hope in the battered forest industry. There is a lot of change happening. We are at a pivot point. Our series on the free fall in forestry and the clear-cut landscape some say is evidence of resource mismanagement. Also ahead, a safe place for everyone. The pride flag goes up at the B.C. Legislature. Counterflow is out over here at the Massey Tunnel now, so two lanes in both directions and busy for southbound traffic out of Richmond. Select Sussex Insurance and make a difference when you renew your auto plan online. Select your neighborhood Sussex Insurance when prompted, and a donation will be made to Diabetes Canada. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Clear cuts have been a feature of the forest landscape of BC since large-scale logging began more than a century ago. But there are increasing calls to end the practice forever. One of the harshest critics is Northern MLA Mike Morris, who's calling on the province to pivot away from clear cuts. And Paul Johnson has part two in his series on forestry in freefall. Heading north from Prince George... The view from the highway is of a vast and unbroken forest. But these days, that view is somewhat deceiving. About an hour north of the city, 
Just off the highway and behind that screen of trees, you'll find this, the Cary Lake Clear Cut. Started in about 2018, it is immense. At 3,000 hectares, this was previously a virgin forest more than seven times the size of Stanley Park. The region's MLA, Mike Morris, brought us here. This should never have happened. There, there should have been small uh, wildlife retention areas. There should have been um, several hundred hectares of, of mature forest retained for wildlife habitat, um, but it wasn't. Everything was cleaned right out. Now, if you thought you were hearing from a member of the B.C. Greens, consider that Morris is with the right of center B.C. United Party, a former Mountie and Solicitor General. He's got the resume of someone who takes facts seriously. He's also logged more time on B.C.'s logging roads than any politician in Victoria. We need to pull the plug on clear-cut logging immediately and, and practice a sustainable, ecologically-based force model. Morris believes that decades of clear-cut logging and mismanagement have left the northern interior essentially logged out of commercially viable timber. For anyone who doubts him, he says, pull up Google Earth and take in the checkerboard of clear cuts across the region, which also helps to explain the staggering job losses in mill towns. There is a lot of change happening. We are at a pivot point. Linda Cody is with the Council on Forest Industries. They represent B.C.'s biggest forestry companies. While she may disagree with much of what Morris says, a future where ecological concerns play a bigger role in the business is on the horizon. Ecosystem health and resilience, absolutely. It's fundamental to sustainable forest management, and British Columbia has a number of processes underway right now. For his part, Morris believes quick profits and industry spin made British Columbians believe our forests were being managed sustainably, when in fact, he says, we've under-acknowledged both the amount that's been cut and the time it will take for forests to come back. Just about every timber supply area in the province is facing this, this, um, this catastrophe, and it needs to be addressed immediately. North of Prince George, Paul Johnson, Global News. A flag raising today at the legislature to honor a community that is increasingly under threat. The pride flag was hoisted on the front lawn of the legislature today. Pride festivities kick off Saturday in the capital city, culminating with a parade and festival in McDonald Park on July 9th. After that, the festivities move to Vancouver with pride celebrations running July 28th to August 6th. The premier says people against queer rights are becoming more and more vocal. It's hard to know what motivates uh, the kind of activities we've seen. Even just uh, as close as Saanich, to see uh, somebody paint over a pride crosswalk uh, is disgusting. The cases of those coming through our doors in the last six months have become increasingly more acute. Online anti-queer commentary is having a direct impact on the mental health of queer youth and all queer people across BC. Activists say the flag is meant to symbolize change and the push to create inclusive spaces for all. Still ahead, an amazing musical marathon. I imagine that we're going to have a lot of five-hour energy drinks with us as well, <laughs> ready to go. The Kamloops duo pushing their limits with nine concerts in nine cities in only 12 hours. Why they're doing it later. But first, the bad decision that destroyed this Vernon home.
Fireworks are being blamed for a fire that destroyed a house in Vernon overnight. Crews were called to this home in the Blue Jay subdivision just before 1 o'clock this morning and found the front entrance fully engulfed in flames. Firefighters say the fire, smoke and water damage is extensive and the home is likely beyond repair. The two residents and a pet dog were able to get out safely and the initial investigation indicates yes, the fire was started by fireworks. Going into the long weekend, uh, it's, it's hot, it's dry, uh, you know, we're living in the Okanagan. Um, discharging fireworks is, is a really bad idea. And uh, if, you're, if someone's out there thinking about that, uh, this is a good reminder for us that uh, those kinds of activities come with a lot of risk. And in most cases, they're illegal and subject to heavy fine. Discharge or even possession of fireworks in Vernon is subject to a fine of up to $300 and multiple fines could be issued for a single infraction. Given how dry it is out there, maybe we just shouldn't be doing that. Right. Don't do it. No, just... Wave a flag. That's right. For Clap your hands. Right. Something like that. <laughs> Sing the anthem. All right. Uh, Yvonne Shell is here now with a look at our long weekend weather forecast. Looks pretty pleasant for the next few days. Yeah, it's going to be nice and into early July. It's actually going to warm up in the coming days. Uh, but first off, we had a bit of cloud cover through the day today. Some fog may start to set up overnight tonight, but it's still going to remain dry. We're currently sitting at 23 uh, winds light at 13. A few other spots today. It was hot, though, and towards the interior, Lytton up to 31. Kamloops, 33 degrees and areas near Kelowna bumping up to 32. That cloud cover is going to dissipate, but we are going to see that fog set up. The severe thunderstorm watches that we did see for the interior have now ended, but we're still seeing some lightning strikes and some instability right across the central interior and the southeastern corners of the province. And in behind it, this ridge of high pressure is going to build in the coming days, and that'll be the big weather story. For Canada Day, though, pleasant highs away from the water up to 25, potentially 26 degrees. But looking ahead for Tuesday, Wednesday, if you do have plans, it'll be hot. We'll be back into the low 30s and for the interior very similar into next week with even a bit of instability and potentially the risk of thunderstorms once again. A reminder with the hot and dry conditions we're not seeing any precipitation in the forecast for the northeastern corners. Fire danger ratings sitting anywhere between high to extreme. A few spots of concern across the island and I anticipate for the interior that is going to bump up in the coming days so please be very diligent. Now the northern half of the province bit of a blip in the forecast. We are still tracking some showers. Much of the central interior with some sunshine in the mix, we're up to 23. The area of concern tomorrow will be for the Colombian Kootenai, risk of a thunderstorm, that instability pops up for the afternoon. Thompson Okanagan into the low 30s, a bit of drizzle will be in the mix for the northern and western regions of the island, a clearing is on the way towards the afternoon. Lower mainland away from the water up to 25, if you're planning for the long weekend, a great start on our Saturday, 22 and then into early next week, away from the water it's going to be hot, we'll bump up to 30 degrees. Tonight's weather window, a great shot, this one was captured this morning in White Rock from Jody. Guys. Beautiful. Thank you, Yvonne. Love it. Uh, okay, we showed a little bit of it <laughs> earlier. Vanny Sartini might have a, a second career. <laughs> Maybe. That might be stretching it just a bit. <laughs> Am I being too just generous? A bit. Well, you're being generous. I mean, he was brave. Mm -hmm. One thing about Vanny Sartini, he clearly has no fear. On stage with Nickelback last night. On stage with Nickelback, no problem for Vanny. Just make sure his microphone's working. Yes, we'll go back to Rogers Arena and see how the Whitecaps coach became a rock star for one song last night. 
Also tonight, BC Van Loops about to embark on a record-setting road trip. Maybe Vanny can join them. <laughs> Why it'll be a test of human endurance later. On a scale of 1 to 10, let's hope the Canucks' new draft pick is an 11. <laughs> and he is. Yeah. Let's hope and he, he is already. Let's hope he's not Ole Olevi. Right. That's what Canucks Nation hopes. Of course, nobody knows. Nobody knows if Canucks first-round pick Tom Olander will develop as Vancouver hopes or if he'll be a bust. But you can pretty much say that about every draft choice every year. There are always a lot of mistakes made by teams. And there are always kids who weren't even drafted who will work hard and one day make the NHL. Scouting and drafting players, no matter what league it is, is a very inexact science. But the hope is that Tom Willander will be a solid NHL defenseman. He skates really well. He can move the puck out of his zone quickly. And, of course, there is the fact that the Vancouver Canucks have had a lot of good luck with Swedish players going all the way back to Thomas Gradine in the 80s, Lars Lindgren as well. Some of Vancouver's best ever players have been Swedes. And Tom Willander was a Canucks fan back home in Sweden because of that. So he was very glad that Vancouver drafted him. You know, Vancouver was actually my first, my first ever team that uh, I started cheering for. I'd say mainly because of uh, the, the Sedins, obviously, being probably the, mo the, the most dominant pair of players ever. Um, but I guess also I thought the logo was cool. <laughs> so I got a bit nostalgic seeing it up on the stage. Um, so, of course, he was taken yesterday. They just had the first round yesterday. The rest of the draft was today. The Canucks didn't have a pick in the second round, but in the third round, the young man you see the photo of, Hunter Burstevich, he was taken. He's also a right-shot defenseman, very good offensively. Sawyer Minio, BC boy in the third round. Vilmer Alriksen of Sweden, he's six foot six. And the last guy they took, Aiden Celebrini, his brother Macklin will likely be or could very well be the first pick overall next year from North Vancouver. His father Rick, former professional soccer player around here, now of course works for the Golden State Warriors. Prince George's Jared Young. This is yesterday with the Chicago Cubs and this is his first ever Major League home run. His brother was there and also his one month year old niece who he had not seen yet. So after he hit this home run, they found the fan who caught the ball. He traded a bat and took a selfie with the fan so he could give that ball to his one-month-year-old niece. There you go. Good Prince George boy. First ever homer in Major League Baseball. It was 425 feet. Good shot. Okay, so for one song last night, Nickelback went from being a four-piece band with one lead singer to a five-piece band with two singers. Vanny Sartini, thanks to the Jeff O'Neill Morning Show, we showed you the story of the other day on Fox. Gave him a chance to get on stage with Nickelback, a band he started listening to way back 20 years ago when he was in Italy, he said, long before he ever thought of coaching soccer in the city of Vancouver. Well, I heard that somebody went on a local radio station, tried out for this. It might have been Vanny right here, the coach of the Vancouver Whitecaps. Give it up for Vanny! Let's face it, we have never seen any coach in this town like Vanny Sartini. He is a fun-loving man of the people, someone who wears his heart on his sleeve, 
or wears his heart when he doesn't have any sleeves or even a shirt. He also has no fear when it comes to singing. He's done it in front of supporters after wins at BC Place, and last night he did it to a sold-out Rogers Arena on stage with Nickelback. Backstage before his rock star moment, Vanny gave the band each their own white cap shirts. So who's number 74? Ah, and then said there is a reason why he wasn't afraid to go on stage. So it, when everyone asks me now, are you, are you scared? No, because I'm scared in a normal game. I have 20,000 people yeah, yeah. and they expect me to be good. Today, everything expects me to suck, so it's okay. <laughs> I love how he brought the Canadian Championship trophy as well with him. That was great. <laughs> well done, Vanny. Well done. Thanks, Squire. Okay. We'll keep the yeah, we'll keep the musical theme going because coming up, a BC band on a raging record-setting road trip. Why traffic will be one of their biggest challenges next. This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. 50 years of trust in your community. Jordan Armstrong here now with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jordan? Sophie, our news crew is staying at Golden Ears where the search for 16-year-old Esther Wang continues. We'll have the latest at 11. Also, Transportation Safety Board investigators are at Boundary Bay Airport tonight because a small plane has gone off the runway. The good news, nobody's been hurt. Plus, we're keeping a close eye on the ferries. Question is, how many people might end up sleeping in their cars outside the terminals tonight with vehicle space from the mainland? Already sold out for the night, Sophie. Oh dear. All right. Thanks for that, Jordan. Well, life on the road can be grueling for any band, but a Kamloops duo is going to attempt something that's never been done before, hoping to set a new world record. Nine concerts in nine cities in only 12 hours. On This Is BC, Jada Rant shows us the heartwarming inspiration for this potentially record-setting road trip. Loops is about to hit the road to raise money for BC Children's Hospital, but this is no ordinary tour. Been making memories, but On July 8th, the pop acoustic duo will be playing nine concerts in nine cities in 12 hours, which will be a Guinness World Record. I'm going to need to make sure I get a good rest the night before. I imagine that we're going to have a lot of five-hour energy drinks with us as well, <laughs> ready to go. They'll start in Squamish and end in Langley. To qualify for the record, there must be 50 kilometers between each location, playing on a stage for at least 15 minutes per show, with at least 10 paying ticket holders in attendance. If it's snowballing and there's more people at each stop as we're getting closer to the record, it's going to be impossible for the adrenaline not to push us through the finish line. How much are you hoping to raise? Uh, we're looking to raise at least 100,000 bucks for set our goal high. Lead singer Kevin Roy has a personal connection to the fundraising efforts. Two of his nieces have cystic fibrosis, and a younger brother died of a rare disease at a young age. He passed away at six, 
at the Children's Hospital in Toronto. And uh, I was only 18, and he was my entire world. Back streets, back, all right. Playing a mix of covers and originals, Loops just had its first lengthy tour this past winter. We were up in northern BC, Grand out Forks. in the Okanagan, yeah. Soyuz, all that kind of stuff. But nine shows in nine cities in 12 hours presents a much different set of logistical challenges. Traffic is obviously the, the biggest one by far. As long as Kevin's vocals hold up, and nothing happens to John's guitar, this band is determined not to fail. We're going to crush this record and we're going to raise a ton of money for BC Children's and we're going to be blown away by the generosity of our fellow Canadians and I promise you that's how the day's going to go. Gotta be the last goodbye. Jay Durant, Global News. Good for them. Have a great show, guys. If you have a great story idea like that one, don't forget to email it to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. All right, final check on weather before we go, Yvonne. Leading into the long weekend, tomorrow we do have some fog patches for the morning hours. The clearing is on the way, but Saturday looks pleasant so far. We're bumping up to 22 and then even warmer, something to keep in mind. Monday onwards, away from the water, some of those temperatures getting up to 30 degrees, but dry over the next few. No more school. Yeah, <laughs> that too. weather. <laughs> awesome. All right, good luck if you're stuck in the ferry lineup. Thanks for watching, everybody. Good night, all.